0: Purpose, 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 so today I have a special guest, and her name is Julie Carrick Dalton. Julie is an author, and she actually grew up in Maryland. And of course, her story is fairly lengthy. Uh, uh, just being an author and an award-winning author, by by the way, I just want to point that out. Having won multiple awards. Over the years, uh, specifically, I'll highlight a few. In 2019, she won the Siskiyou Prize for New Environmental Literature, of course. And also in 2017, she's the winner of the William Faulkner Literary Competition. And there are a host of other awards here. I am just so excited to have her here today just to share her journey as a mother as an author, and as an entrepreneur. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I am so excited to have you today. And uh, why don't you just go ahead and just tell us more about who you are. Of course, I see a very decorated writer, and I'm so excited to learn about how that all came to be. But why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are today?
1: Sure. Thank you. So um, I'm a mother of four. Um, I also am an organic farmer. I own and operate um, an organic farm in rural New Hampshire, and I manage a 100 acre forest. And most of my writing is is inspired by, you know, elements of climate change and nature that I'm witnessing on my farm. And so as a writer, I take a lot of inspiration from the land, from the trees and the forest that I'm, you know, around while I'm working on the farm. So it, took, it was a long journey to become a writer. I was a journalist for a long time, um, okay. telling other people's stories. And it, then eventually I decided I needed to be telling my own story. So it took me 13 years to write my first book. It, um, it came out in January. It's called oh, Waiting wow. for the Night Song, and it's a thriller uh, that takes a lot of inspiration from my land, from my farm, the forest mm-hmm. where I work, and I started incorporating elements of climate change and nature that I was witnessing on my farm and in the forest um, that I managed into my novel, and it, it became not just a thriller, but um, a, a climate story and kind of a love letter to the wild places in New Hampshire that I love a lot. And I was raising my kids during the same years that I was building this farm and writing this book. So my journey is kind of a tangled mess of learning how to become a farmer. Um, I bought my farm about 10 years ago. I'm writing the book for 13 13 years. I've been writing and parenting all at once. So when I look back on this period of time, I think it's just going to be this braided strand of parenting kids, building a farm and writing a book. And for me, really, they're all
0: one story. That is amazing. I'm just I'm just trying to even psychologically separate all of those <laughs> because yeah, having been a journalist, uh, and then what was it that prompted you to enter the industry where you wanted to to manage a one hundred and eight one hundred and eighty acre forest and then ultimately an organic farm? How did that all come to fruition? If you won't mind sharing. It it? Was a- yeah, it was a
1: big accident. I became a farmer in the, in the strangest way possible. So we have a family home in New Hampshire, and we have bear and deer and moose that literally walk into our yard. And I love oh, them wow. so much. And it's beautiful. And there are, where we live is flanked by this huge forest. And that's where the bear and moose and deer and other animals come through this forest to our land. And this piece of land went on the market for timbering and development. And they started clear cutting this forest where all these animals lived. And I just had this like horrified, you know, panic reaction. And I went and I walked this forest. And it was so beautiful. It was just these pristine trees and a babbling brook that looked like it just came right out of a fairy tale. And I was so moved by how I felt about this piece of land and I wanted to save it. And so mm. my luckily, luckily I have a very patient and generous and husband who was willing to take a risk. And we bought the forest and uh, halted the timbering, but then for financial reasons, we needed a business plan for what to do with this piece of land. We couldn't just sit there with it so on the area that was already cleared Mm -hmm. um, I decided well I can build I can build a farm and so I spent some time learning how to literally build a farm from scratch and build a business plan around it Um, and I made a ton of mistakes I ended up going back to school to get a degree or I'm sorry a certificate in sustainable agriculture and made a you know just a lot of trial and error and I'm still really learning my way it's been 10 years since I bought it, but I think it's only been seven or eight years that I've actually been farming and growing things. So I, I really basically became a farmer because I didn't want the moose to be homeless. And it was the only way I could think to do it.
0: Oh, wow. And what are, what are, what are some of the things that you grow on your farm? I'm just curious, like, what is your product? So,
1: yeah, so I grow um, corn, potatoes, just your basic vegetables that you would see, you know, at a farmer's market, All like greens and you know, cucumbers, a lot of squash and herbs, um, right. but I don't, go to mar- I don't go to market with vegetables right now. I have a kind of a two-tiered farm. That we ha- I have a business partner who leases part of the property and runs a horseback riding business, and that's what it generates income. And I grow vegetables for my family. We can some stuff. We de- dehydrate food sometimes, and then we whatever surplus we have, which is usually quite a bit, we donate it to the food shelter in our town. And so for me, it's, a, it's been a learning process. And I don't feel the financial pressure of going to market with the produce right now because I have an income from this other, the horseback riding business. Wow. So it's, it's, it's really an evolution. Like I'm learning every year how to be a better farmer and how to grow and you know, scale up. But right now I still consider myself, you know, even
0: though it's been you know, 10 years, I'm still very much learning how to do this. And I just think that's so amazing. I, you you talk about a pivot <laughs> to go from <laughs> yeah, or somewhat of a like you say a day to day. Of course, journalism is a very involved profession. Of course, uh, whatever capacity you choose to be in, uh, you know, you're always getting the story. So to, I mean, you're just kind of I just see a journalist is like on the cutting edge, of course, of what's happening now, and to just make that whole pivot over to something totally different. You know, like you said, it's almost like it, 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 it sounds as if it fell in your lap, for lack of better terms. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I feel like it came to me in some ways. Like I didn't, I never thought, I never thought about, like, I, I feel like if you had gone back and told my teenage self that I was going to be a farmer, I would have run screaming. That would have sounded like a horrible, <laughs> horrible thing. And, and I just, I grew into needing to do this and I, I never would have imagined it. Like I, but I love it so much. Um, even with all, it, it's tough work and I mess up a lot and I've lost entire corn crops. And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to learn through. But also, you know, I'm right. I'm, we've been writing fiction this whole time. And so it's been um, an interesting way of doing research for my book that I also, again, didn't plan on. I didn't plan on writing a book that was so much about nature and, uh-huh. you know, forestry. But it just happened that way. And I think that, just, you know, sometimes you just need to follow those, those passions that show up in your life and see where they take you.
0: And Julie, as you're talking about your writing, of course, uh, your book just came out. Is that correct? In 2021, January of this year?
1: Yeah, it came out in January. And, you know, it was such a long journey. And then to come out in the middle of the pandemic was not the way I planned it.
0: <laughs> but clearly you have a, a number of writing awards as, a, as I look at your background. You, this is not it wasn't like this was the first project. So what was it you know that led up to this project? I see because I see as I was pointing out some of your awards in the beginning, uh, back as far back as 2016. so we're talking five years you have awards for uh, various contests, you know uh, writing, writing contests, uh, literature, contests, just standalone awards. What was it along the way? I mean why was it you know what was the desire? Yeah. What was it that propelled you into writing while you were also doing all of these other unique um, life changes?
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because those awards actually are for the book that just came out and various iterations of it before it was published. Oh, the, um, okay. I, ha- I have written some short fiction. I've published some short stories, but most of the um, the writing awards that um, that you're referring to. Um, were, publishing is a very slow-moving industry. I sold my book in in 2019, and it just came out this year. And prior to that, it took a long time to find a literary agent. So in the meantime, I was sending chapters of this book out to contests. And I was really fortunate that I won several of the contests. And that actually helped me, I think, land an agent, and which helped me get a book deal. So I think that those, those contests were kind of stepping stones for me and then when it came out after this long journey it lands in the middle of a pandemic, it was, it was kind of amazing to me that it was, um, as right before it came out, it was named a, um, a most anticipated 2021 book by CNN, by Newsweek, sure. Parade Magazine, USA Today, BuzzFeed, all these publications just jumped on and came behind my book. And it was a surprise
0: and a real honor, and it's been kind of an amazing journey. I'm just amazed, uh, like, <laughs> and, you know, and you're making this, th- I, I love Julie, the way you're making this. Th- it just sounds so simple. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> literary agent, number one, and to have a major, you know, having been, having also been, a, you know, a writer, being a writer, should I say, and having been in the position where I uh, self-published. So I had a chance to, you know, back at the same time, you know, my book came out 2016. You are your brand, and that's a nonfiction focus, a personal development. But long and short, you know, I conditioned my mind at the time to, um, you know, we we want this book to go all the way. So there are a number of people. I mean, what what, what is the even? I think in the self published industry, last I heard, I know it was like a million books come out a year just in the self published industry. So to have this uh, project be what it is and become what it became, you know, this is outstanding. So congratulations to you, number one, (laughs) you know, to just have it all be picked up and and be on the level that it's at. So what was it, uh, you know, when you think about it back to the, the journey of 2016, what was it that propelled you to want to put a book out in the first place?
1: I think I've always been writing stories. You know, I was a journalist, so I was writing. But it's a, you know, as you know, it's like a very different skill set to to write for a, a news or paper or a magazine than it is to write fiction. But I, I, I guess I just really wanted to, to tell the stories that that I wanted to share with the world, not tell other people's stories anymore. Mm -hmm. And I've always, I've always been writing stories. Like when I was a little kid, my mother used to run a puppet theater and she wrote all the scripts Uh for her puppet shows and I would be her assistant. And by the time I was 10, I'd written my first puppet script that was produced. And it was something that's just always spoken to me, but I didn't consider it as a career until later in life. When um, I started writing, um, I guess after my, Around the time my third child was born, I have four kids, and around the time my third child was born, I left journalism as a full-time job and was freelancing on the side, and I started dabbling in fiction, and that just really caught me on fire that I could tell a different form of the truth in fiction, and what I mean by that is, like, in journalism, you're bound by the facts, but you can give 10 journalists the same set of facts, and they'll tell you 10 different stories. Right, And for me, there were truths I wanted to share with the world. And in this book and waiting for the night song, it's primarily a story about a friendship between two women and about secrets and betrayal and redemption. But it's also set against a backdrop of a very slowly changing climate in New Hampshire, which is a real situation. And it allowed me to look at a small town in New Hampshire and examine how a slow burning rise in temperature in my growing region has affected a whole community in really quiet ways. Like, you don't think about New Hampshire as the epicenter of climate change. You know, nobody's yeah. running around screaming, you know, hurricanes or, you know, flash yeah. floods. But but really, we are being affected there. My growing season is 22 days longer than it was a century ago, which is shocking. It's three weeks longer to grow But but it also affects like the the insects, the birds, the health of forests, all these things that you don't think about. So writing fiction actually gave me the opportunity to explore truth in a way I couldn't in just journalism. And you can kind of, you can sort of like dig into emotional truths as well as, you know, you know, scientific truth. And so for me, it was this way of celebrating the, like the female friendships I've had in my life. Because as I said, it's centrally, the central relationship is about two friends who are driven apart by a secret and how they find their way back to each other. Mm. But it also was this way of just sharing my love for, for the, you know, these wild
0: forests and lakes and mountains in New Hampshire. That's so beautiful. And, and then, as you said, seeing the vastness of your background, of course, uh, just to share a little bit more, uh, having lived in other countries uh, such as Germany and, of course, traveled all over the U.S. and, um, of course, the experiences, and I and honest to God, I can't even imagine. Honestly, when I see you, when you say you have four children, I would have never known, <laughs> especially four grown because <laughs> you have. You, I mean, you just don't look like you have four children to me. But that's, that's <laughs> amazing. So something's going on over there in in uh, the, the New Hampshire air. But it's just beautiful to see that you know, even as a woman. Of course, this is what purpose is all about, right? You you made pivots. Uh, what has been for you, even in the midst of it all, in the midst of, of all the challenges, what would you say has been your strategy for work-life balance? Of course, it sounds like, you know, you have it all. You have a farm. You you know, you're running this business, of course, with a partnership. And now we have uh, this, you know, uh, a, a, a renowned book project that has went, of course, global. And then, of course, being married. What is it that keeps you grounded and in balance as a purpose driven woman?
1: To be honest, I think it's embracing the reality that there is no balance. Okay. Um, You (laughs) know, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote this book in stolen moments over a period of 13 years. I know there's a lot of writers that will tell you about their beautiful organizational strategies of getting up at 8 a.m. with a cup of tea, you know, and their dog sitting at their feet and writing for six hours, but I could never do that. Right. I wrote this book in the, in the parking lot, waiting to take my kids up for school, you know, at, during soccer practices for my kids, waiting in the ballet school, you know, watch, you know, observation rooms for my kids. So it was really 13 years of stolen moments. And I have people, so many people ask me, Gosh, why did it take you so long? Why did it take you 13 years to write this book? And I'm like, Are you kidding? You should be asking me, How did you write that book in only 13 years? Because it took so many pieces of time. You know, it wasn't, you know, in the last few years after I got the literary agent and the book deal, I was much more dedicated to the writing and I found ways to carve out time. But at the same time, my kids weren't, you know, babies or toddlers anymore. So I was able to have a little bit more structure. But there also was an element of, you know, and I think this is a problem—a common story for a lot of, you know, working women um, or moms who are at home with their kids who are also working women, I should point out, that, you know, I didn't give myself permission for a long time to follow my dreams. Mm. You know, I was a journalist, which was my career, and I was raising the kids as best I could, and I wasn't giving myself the permission to fully embrace, like, what I wanted out of my life, you know, as a career. And then at some point, like, I just... You know, realize, like, I have these things I want to do, and, and I can do them and still be a good mom and a good, you know, partner to my husband, and, you know, I can still do those things. I just don't have to admit that it's not going to always be in balance, and sometimes things are crazy and horrible, and, you know, I faced a lot of rejections for this book. Mm-hmm. I can celebrate it now. But I had a lot of rejections before it was published. And I think another thing that's really important to me is I've stumbled a lot. I've, you know, faced rejections. I have cried. I've been, you know, ready to throw in the towel. And I've had, you know, like I said, crops fail. And my kids have seen me fail many Mm. times and get back up. And I think that's what keeps me going is because you can, it's, you know, providing a model to screw up,
0: but then just get back up is, I think, important. I just think that's phenomenal because that is the key, uh, Julie, you know, when I hear that, you know, and and that's what I always say. We have so much more, even as women, you know, I don't care what part of the country you live in. I don't care what industry uh, we're in. We all seem to have the binding thread that brings us to what, what we call woman, right? And I think of what you said, even in my in my story too, that is so true. You know, even writing a book, it was coming from when I finally made up my mind that I wasn't going, that I was going to finish the project. I can think back to, I literally had all the pieces, just like what you said, all these pieces that I had written here, there, and everywhere. I was like, you already have it. Just pull it together, you know, but the resilience is what I'm hearing from you, right? The ability to bounce back regardless of what you're facing, regardless of how insecure you may be, regardless of what you don't know, uh, and regardless of it all, why you, you chose to dream. So how important is it for us as women and us as individuals to not give up on our dream?
1: I think it's really important. I mean, for me, I have, I have the four kids, I have three daughters and one son. And I, I really do think I bought into that idea for so long that motherhood is my mission. You know, when the kids were young, I must be a good mom. I must do the right things. I must, right. you know, all those things we tell ourselves or we think society is telling us. And I did that for a really long time, and I was just on this treadmill. But I think it, you know, for I don't want my kids to feel that way. I don't want my daughters to feel that they mm-hmm. owe the world, like that their purpose is to be just a good mother, or for my son to feel that way about parenting, you know, himself or whoever his partner in life is shouldn't feel that way. And so I think that giving myself permission to be selfish sometimes, and when I mean selfish, I mean focusing on my own goals and dreams. And sometimes that's, you know, not ideal for my kids. Sometimes I've said, you know, no, I cannot pick you up from this thing because I am taking a writing class tonight or I have a book deadline tonight or something. And in the moment, that might seem frustrating to them, but I think in the big picture, it gives them permission as they grow up to know that they can put themselves first sometimes. You know, it's always in balance with the people around you and to not be selfish, you know, at the expense of other people. But it took me a while to figure out that I I, I deserved some of that of my own time as well as my
0: kids did. And- Absolutely. And what I th- when I think of writing, um, I think of of a sort of therapy, and even when I heard you say, you know, even just all these thoughts of yours, just just culminating, you know, it's a form. It's very therapeutic, and it's something that happens when we write. Uh, I've I've never written nonfiction, but um, it's a matter of I'm sorry, I've never written fiction. That's what I was going to say. But but I but I can honestly say that it's something about the writing process that really is therapeutic. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when um when I've written a scene or a sentence or anything that I'm like that I'm happy with, it's such a satisfying feeling mm. to have had something in in my head that have only existed in my brain. And to putting it in a form right. that I can share with other people feels really good because it's something only I could offer the world, that sentence or that chapter or this story. And it's a it's a kind of a superpower, you know, to have ideas in your head and be able to share them because I don't think everybody can do that. And I don't think everybody feel or wants to, or feels they can do that.
0: I so agree with you because there are so many people that want to write, that say they want to write, but they never seem to get there. And it's very interesting to me, you know, how many people you, and I'm sure you've already had that experience, you know, as you're out there as an author, you know, so many people will approach you, you know, letting, letting you know what they want. And you know, just kind of very interested in this whole process, but it is not, and I love the way you're just sharing authentically who you are because it's definitely not as glamorous getting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as people want, might want <laughs> to think, like, oh my God, I'm not, yeah, being an author is great, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication, it's a lot of commitment, and ultimately believing in, like it's just what you said, believing in yourself, believing in the why of the project. And why don't you let us know how the project is doing? At this time, and how uh, we can even get a hold of the project.
1: Yes, definitely get a hold of it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's co- so. Waiting for the Night Song is available pretty much anywhere that you buy books. You know, I always encourage people to order it or buy it from a local independent bookstore, just because I like supporting you know small businesses. But it's also available at Barnes and Noble, on Amazon, um, at Bookshop.org. It's for sale on Target, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. And books a million. So really, you can find it anywhere. And the audiobook is also really wonderful. My narrator really brought the story to life. And what I also another thing that I, I really like talking about about my novel is, you know, I mentioned that there's elements of climate change in the background of the story. Yes. And another thing that took me a while to give myself, like some permission and the confidence in is talking about climate change because I'm not a scientist and I don't pretend I'm a scientist. I've done a ton of research and, you know, agricultural research and research for my book, but I have this really strong belief that um, there's a lot of people out there who really, you know, believe in climate change or, you know, have strong feelings about it, but they don't feel like, you know, I'm not an activist, like I'm not a person who goes to protest or I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. So they don't speak up. And I think that we all have these things in us that we want to talk about and don't give ourselves permission to do it. If we don't think we're the expert. And when it comes to climate change you know that belongs to everybody and I would never position myself and pretend that I'm a scientist, I'm not, but I did do a lot of research in the book and this storytelling invites people into the conversation. Like I've had so many people who don't necessarily engage in conversations about climate change who have struck up conversations with me about it because of the story. I had a reviewer write a, um, a blog post about my book saying that she's not interested in climate change, doesn't watch news and hates politics and I was bracing for this horrible review but then she said but I loved the story. I loved the characters and by the end of the book I care about climate change now. And for me that's like that's such a gift that I can I can give voice to a story and invite people into the conversation who might not have entered the conversation. You know, otherwise, yes. and so for me, that's been a journey too. Giving myself permission to feel like I have a voice in this conversation.
0: I love it. I mean, that's a great segue, giving us permission to have permission to do the things that we uh, that are in our hearts to create those things. You know, and once again, this wonderful project, "Waiting for the Night Song" by Julie Carrick Dalton. You have to get your copy as she's indicated, everywhere books are sold. Julie, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our audience today? And also please share after that, how we can stay in touch with you.
1: I guess the thing I would most want to share with the audience is that, you know, those little passions that are speaking to us quietly. Maybe they're whispering or maybe they're shouting at us. We should listen to them and try, you know, to try it in whatever, even if it's a small way, it doesn't have to be publishing a book or you know, or managing a forest, it can be something small and that gives purpose to what you do. And I think when we find purpose in our work, that we do it with more joy and more enthusiasm, more love. And, um, you know, it's not always, it doesn't have to be a big thing, but I think just listening to those little voices that the things that matter to us and finding a way to you know follow that, And as far as um, keeping in touch with me, um, I absolutely love hearing from people who read the book. Um, I'm on Twitter um, at Julie Cardalt, Julie and then C-A-R-D-A-L-T. I'm on Instagram at Julie C. Dalton. Um, And I love hearing from people and engaging in conversations if they have questions about the book or if they don't agree with something. I welcome those conversations. And I also really like meeting with book clubs um, because there's a lot of conversations about um, you know, uh, climate justice and environmental justice and what communities are affected most by climate change. And so there's a lot of things to unpack in this book. And I, I love when people reach out and um, let me know what they think or ask me questions.
0: I'm so excited to have you here today. And you know what? You've answered the questions about purpose, finding who you are. You know, I didn't have to lead into any of those. <laughs> I just, I'm grateful for this organic, Literally, no pun intended. This (laughs) conversation (laughs) that happens today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much again for joining me for a Purpose Driven Woman podcast. I know you enjoyed this last episode. So many nuggets, so many gems. If you are a consistent listener, I want to encourage you to make sure that you are once again subscribed. And also make sure that you take the time to do a written review of any episode that you are enjoying. Once again, this content is being created just for you. And it's very important that I hear your feedback. So if you could do me a favor and ensure that you are subscribing, number one, and number two, making sure that you write a written review, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And until next time, thank you for joining me.